What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 167, and we'll be talking about Stargate Atlantis' episode, Underground. Underground! Had nothing to do with coffee. There was it no did coffee. Not. Nope, no coffee. It also did not have to do with London? Uh, no, that's right. Uh, so you didn't have to mind the gap? Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. It was all good, mostly. Yep. Actually, it wasn't all uh, good. Well, you know, I mean, you know, unprotected was... radiation is perfectly fine. The opposite of all good. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. Uh, a little bit later. Hi, friends. We're an independent podcast. And uh, if you would like to support the show, you could do that. Uh, we don't take any of those dang advertising dollars. We're, we're, we're above that. Um, you can go to our website at WTTS.space. Space! And you can go click the little coffee cup in the bottom right corner. And this little buy me a coffee thing. And you've probably seen it around. Uh, it's basically just a, like a donation widget. So instead of the Patreon model where you subscribe and blah, and every month things, uh, you know, we're like, how about, how about like we take the pressure off ourselves a little bit. And if you want to, if you want to support the show, that's the mechanism. And if you don't want to support the show, that's fine. We're going to keep doing this thing. It's all good. You can do that. Uh, like on a one-off, you can like, you know, buy us a coffee, quote unquote, or you can, uh, support the show on what they call memberships where every month you pay a certain amount. Uh, I think you set the amount. And we've got a particular tier right now. It's called the General Fund. All it is is just uh, acknowledging that it costs money to do this thing. If we end up with the support needed to clear that General Fund, then hey, we'll we'll go explore fun, uh, awesome additional things too. Um, and uh, we do have a couple of wish list items on there if you're interested in like contributing for a specific thing. I uh, got some mics that uh, would uh, would uh, make us sound real pretty like and uh, a mixer that would help me get this show produced a heck of a lot faster. But uh, that's all on that's all there if you want to do that. And you don't need to worry about any of this stuff turning into like private can't get at anything paywall garbagey stuff because we put everything up on the main feed. Uh, you can just listen to our just garbly gook anytime you want and not have to worry about it paying a dang cent. It's just it'll be just fine. And if you have friends in your life that uh, you think really need to have Stargate content, you can let them know that they should listen to us and they can find our show on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and iHeartRadio Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts and on our website, <clears throat> again, WTTS.space. Space. And uh, there's a little, there's a little uh, player uh, on the bottom left of that uh, little website. And uh, my preferred method, of course, is podcast aggregators that's the old school way and you can find us by typing in walking through the stargate that's all it takes that's that's just, just it's as easy as that so uh zach yep uh if a person wants to let us know that uh that they think that uh that that spreading the good word about our podcast is just lovely and wonderful and that they have been uh that they have been in uh town squares <clears throat> standing on uh like you know those little those little speaker podiums that they'll sometimes put in particular, you know, for the criers and things. And, and they shout around saying, hear ye, hear ye. I have a great podcast for you to listen to. It's walking through the star. Where are you going? Wait, how about they, um, how about they reach out and let us know about that? So if you actually stand up on a podium out in the middle of a courtyard or wherever, and you start going, hear ye, hear ye, here's a great podcast about Stargate to listen to. I want to know about it. <laughs> yes. Uh, Please send pictures and videos <laughs> and any other information that you, you know, because we can, I don't know what we do with it, but it sounds awesome. Uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. 
uh, and uh, get send us that information because that would be awesome. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, I don't know how effective it would be, but it would be awesome. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I mean, it, I guess that the measurement of impact would be that we'd have to have then a subset of people who had said. I discovered your podcast because somebody was yelling about it in the middle of a town square. <laughs> well, I'm sure that there would be several people who would have discovered it, but whether they had... <laughs> then listen to it and then reach out to us. Yes, yes, yes. acknowledge. Well, anyway, uh, however it goes, uh, you know, share this with your friends who are also Stargate fans um, and, uh, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can also go to the Facebooks. We're walking through the Stargate Facebook page and group. You can... Yep chat and have conversations there you can go to the website as brent said which is wtts.space space and you can also go to the discords which is where most of our social medias happens mm -hmm. uh because it's just a little bit uh uh more contained which is a lot easier for my brain to handle uh facebook's a lot for my brain and brent doesn't <laughs> like facebook i hate facebook <laughs> um but it's a wonderful community uh we talk about lots of different things uh, often Stargate things, and sometimes not Stargate things, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just a fun community. Everybody is good there. Everybody is great there. Everybody's having fun there. So please, if you are interested, join the party there on Discord. And yeah. if you don't know how to get to it, go to our website, and there you can uh, click the link of the Discord, which is a little kind of a quasi-controller face type of thing in the upper right-hand corner. Yep. Uh, and click on that, and that'll take you to the Discord, and uh, they'll get you going. That's how you can do it. Yep. Hey, Brent. Hey, Zach. Are you ready to dig into underground? Yeah. Let's get into All this. All right. So we're going to, uh, you know, lift the sod and dig some of the dirt so that we can get into that underground bunker. Underground. Underground. Get, it, get, it, get underground. That's not, the, that's not the quote. Th but that's not how it goes, but no. that's okay. Yes. The director for this, the lead undergrounder or digger or what <laughs> is Brad Turner. Chief undergrounder. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, Brad Turner. Uh, so so we heard his name last week. This was his second of two directing credits this season. Uh-huh. Uh, so he did uh, last week's episode, Poisoning the Well, and this week's episode, Underground. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then that's it for Brad. The teleplay is by somebody you are very familiar with. His name is Peter DeLuise. Yeah, I noticed that. His, this is his first of two writing credits this season for Atlantis, mm -hmm. and just two writing credits for Atlantis. That's it. That's it? So okay. He's got these two, and then he's done. He does other things. Uh, we have some guest actors for this. Mm -hmm. We have Craig Veroni popping in at the end as Dr. Peter Groden. We've yep. seen him before. Yep. Uh, we have Aaron Chambers, who plays Sora. Yeah. Uh, she is one of the Janai. Uh, and I have a mini bio by Scary of Monsters. Huh. Okay. Yep. This is what Scary of Monsters has to say about Erin Chambers. Erin Chambers is an American actress best known for her role as Siobhan McKenna Spencer on ABC soap opera General Hospital. Mm -hmm. She has made guest appearances in a number of television shows she was born in Portland, Oregon, and received a BFA in acting from Brigham Young University. Mm-hmm, mm hmm Okay. And she is a Latter-day Saint. Ah, okay. Um, her first IMDb credit came in 1995 when she did the voice in the English version of Whisper of the Heart. She was a high school student. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, there you go. 
And and I, I looked it up. Uh, she was born in 1979. Okay. Uh, that's important here for just a minute. Minute the the person who plays her father Tyrus uh-huh. is Ari Cohen. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think I know where you're about to go with this. <laughs> so before we get to the mini bio by Anonymous, Ari Cohen was born in 1967. Yeah. So while it is not impossible for somebody who is 12 no that's not impossible to, to father a child i uh, highly unlikely very strange, highly unlikely very strange situation there the jenai have i mean i mean even if you assume that she is playing somebody two or three years younger than she is which is feasible right yep i was 35 and i played a 23 year old once yeah so you know it happens um and he was playing somebody two or three years Older than him. Yeah. Um, it, the, the math becomes less creepy, but it's just... Yep. I didn't quite buy it. Anyway. No, wait, I, wait, wait. I, I genuinely, like, even though he, like, I forgot that she was his daughter. Like, midway through the episode, <clears throat> I was like, yeah, they're, like, married or something. And then I was like, and then she's like, where's my dad? I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know... It probably would have been less creepy if they were married. Uh, I mean, it just, it was, I mean, just, it was just peculiar casting, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, the, 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 if you just assume that they're father and daughter and you don't think too hard about it, um, fine. But, and, and, and of course, Tyrus dies. And so. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> In any case, uh, here is Ari Cohen's mini bio by. Anonymous. Anonymous. Okay, yes. Anonymous. Mr. Anonymous, or Ms. Mr. Anonymous. Originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Ari Cohen made his big screen debut in Guy Madden's cult hit Archangel in 1990 and has worked steadily since in film, television, and live theater. Select films include Priscilla, written and directed by Sofia Coppola, Patricia Rosema's mouthpiece, it and It Chapter 2, Molly's Game, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, Special Correspondence, written and directed by Ricky Gervais, and mm. David Cronenberg's Maps to the Stars. Mm-hmm. I would just like to point out here, this is an aside for Anonymous, um, if you're going to make these lists, make the director and writer and title of the movies consistent. <laughs> Right? Please. X movie directed by this. Right. X movie directed by that. So on and so forth, because this back and forth screws my brain up. Well, and also, it, it, I mean, like, I'm, I, part of me wonders if they were trying to make, uh, you know, trying to make it interesting by, like, varying it up a little bit. No, you don't need to vary it up. It's not interesting. No. Don't, don't make it interesting. You're no. thinking too hard. Make it consistent. Make it consistent. All right. Uh, continuing. A highly regarded stage actor... Ari has appeared in True West, Speed the Plow, Awake, and Sing, and as Bill Lohman in Death of a Salesman, mm-hmm. for which he was nominated for a Dora, which is a Toronto, Toronto Theatre mm-hmm. Award, mm-hmm. for the Soul Pepper Theatre Company. Other nominations include a Dora for the world premiere of Sunday, Fa- Sunday, Father, at, Sunday Father at the Canadian 
Stage Company, mm-hmm. a Jesse Award nomination. Wow, this is... <laughs> Period. Anonymous, Period. <laughs> Anonymous didn't do a good job here. <laughs> he also got a Jesse Award nomination for The Rainmaker and a Gemini Award nomination for The Tournament. Very good. Whew. And as it was mentioned earlier, his first IMDb credit came in 1990 with the movie Archangel when he plays Philbin in uh-huh. that. Yep. Uh, and then finally, we have Colm Meany. Yay, Colm Meany. Cowan. Yep. He was born in 1953 in Dublin, Ireland. He is an actor and producer known uh, from me best for Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek The Next Generation. Yep. Uh, he was also in Layer Cake and Under Siege. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, so he began in Star Trek The Next Generation in the pilot episode in Convert Farpoint yep. as just a. Battle Bridge con officer, right? Yeah. He was just the guy sitting there in the con. Yep. Uh, and then eventually he got a name and a rank, and he became the chief transporter officer. And then he got moved to Deep Space Nine in a promotion, and he was then on Deep Space Nine for many years as the chief uh, engineer of Deep Space Nine. Yep. Um, interestingly, he went from a non-commissioned uh, con officer type of person to a lieutenant chief, uh, and then he got promoted to a non-commissioned officer, chief petty officer, well, I don't know, the, the top rank yeah. of a non-commissioned officer in Deep Space Nine. So he went through some transitions there yep. as O'Brien, uh, but he's also uh, honestly one of my favorite characters from Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah, Nine. absolutely. Um, along with Patrick Stewart and Armin Shimmerman, he is one of only three actors to appear in the pilots of two different Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was along with, uh, no, that's all I have. So, you know, uh, Stuart appears in both Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole Meany also in Deep Space Nine and Next, uh, Next Generation. And yep. Armin Shimmerman, uh, was in Voyager and Deep Space Nine. Yep. Were his two pilots. Yep. Um, so there you go. Um, Cole Meany's first IMDb credit came in 1973 in the TV series Thursday Playdate. He played Freddy in the episode Hatchet. There you go. There you go. Uh, the original air date for this episode was August 27, 2004, uh, which was the same as last week's episode Covenant. That's what we did last week, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to know what was happening on the week of the 27th... Um, go listen to that uh, episode. Yep, listen to that episode. Uh, I will say that uh, I did say that the number two episode, uh, number two movie in the box office was Anaconda's Hunt for the Black Orchid. Uh, I was corrected uh, by uh, Kevin out there who reminded me that uh, it was not, in fact, the Hunt for the Black Orchid, but Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Oh, I uh, okay. copy and pasted or typed things poorly somewhere, but it should be blood, not black. Anyway. Yep. There you go. Uh, trivia for this episode. Uh, Cole Meany, mm-hmm. who plays Miles O'Brien, now is the ninth Star Trek veteran to appear in the franchise. Yeah. So we've had Armin Shimmerman, who played, uh, was in The Knox. We yep. had Dwight Schultz in The Gamekeeper, mm-hmm. Rene Aubergenois in The Other Side. Mm-hmm. 
Marina Sirtis in Watergate, mm-hmm. John Delancey in Ascension and mm-hmm. others, mm-hmm. John Billingsley in The Other Guys, mm-hmm. Jolene Blaylock in Birthright, mm-hmm. and Robert Picardo in Heroes Part 2. We've yep. also seen him in other episodes uh-huh. as well. Um, and so now we add Cole Meany to the mix. Very good. Uh, which is pretty cool. Um, there is one other actor that I did not ma- name above who did have technically some speaking wor- wor- words. This was Darren Hurd, who played the dying patient, uh, the, the guy in the, the, the cocoon that was screaming, help me, help me, help oh, me. Oh, yeah, right? okay. Uh, well, he also played the dying patient in Poisoning the Well from uh, the last Atlantis episode. <laughs> okay. He gets okay, to Darren. die twice. Yeah, I was going to say, like, okay, here, here, okay, good news. Yeah? You're going to be on the show twice. Yay! Dying both times. Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So this could and be then one of those resurrection things? No, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, we're we're gonna put makeup on you in such a way for both of those that nobody can actually identify you as anybody particular. Nah. nah. But here's a check. So, but here's hey, give me a check. I'll take it. Um, and then we have the life science detector that Dr. McKay uses to open that door. Uh, if you. Uh, look carefully on the close-up of that device. You can actually see that it has a start menu button and a status bar for the Microsoft Windows for pocket PCs, oh. uh, which is the OS that it was that that particular prop was running. Yeah. So uh, just a little fun little bit there. There you go. Sure. Um, uh, this episode is entitled Underground in English. The French call it Appearances. Yeah. The Russians and the Czechs all call it Underground the Hungarians call it under the surface, and the Germans, they just uh, call it underground. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. You know, they, they don't do anything unusual with it. Um, Fine. So there you go. There you go. Uh, sorry. Yeah, you know, yeah, there it is. Brent. Yes. Uh, we are now at the time when we normally do the synopsis, and I normally read it. However, my yes. throat has been a little bit sore the last couple of days. Yep. Uh, and in order to save my voice... Uh, I am going to ask you to read the synopsis for us. Yes. I wrote it, but I didn't actually like proofread it or edit. So if there's so problems, it'll be a fun it, time. It'll be fun. <laughs> okay. Hey, Zach, are you ready for the synopsis of Underground? I am ready. Okay, here we go. We need food. We're nearly at the point of needing to start rationing our food supplies. Taylor knows of a people called the Janai. They are simple farmers, but have been good and honest trade partners for a long time. So Shepard and his team travel through the gate to begin trade negotiations. On the Janai homeworld, they first meet up with Tyrus and his daughter Sora, dressed in clothes that remind Rodney of the Amish. There seems to be a little tension between the two sides. Tyrus recognizes Taylor and is curious if she's working for or with the strangers. Wait, working with or for the strangers? Yeah, 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 that's right. Working with or for the strangers. After, an, after the awkward pleasantries, Sora leads the group back to the village. Tyrus lags behind, and when the others are out of sight, he reveals a communication device far more advanced than the simple farming village persona they convey. Bum, bum, bum. We are bringing them to the village. Take everything to silent mode. <laughs> Please switch your phones to silent <laughs> so that you do not disturb the other patrons in the village. Silent mode, as opposed to, like, Hide it. Anyway, anyway. <clears throat> at the negotiating table, they are introduced to our favorite Starfleet chief, Miles Edward O'Brien. I mean, 
the leader of the Janai, Co- Cohen. Yeah, his name's Cohen. Cohen is a hard trade partner. The medicines offered by the Atlantis expedition does not seem sufficient to the Janai for the food stores they would have to give up. They would need to clear more land for planting and a new and begin a new cycle to replenish their stores. Clearing out 300-year-old stumps is no easy task. But Shepard has an idea. A little C4 and all of a sudden that old stump is gone. Like like literally that effect was kind of weird. Uh-huh. Gone. <laughs> there was a cut there. I could tell there was a cut there. Anyway, <laughs> <clears throat> A little C4, and all of a sudden, that old stump is gone. But And with the addition of the C4 to the trade price, Cohen believes that they could be able to come to an agreement. Shepard and McKay return to Atlantis to discuss this with Weir. Taylor and Ford are blessed with the opportunity to stay with the Janai for a harvest celebration. Woohoo! Weir doesn't like Shepard's negotiations. She's uncomfortable becoming an arms dealer. <laughs> and, and Right? An arms dealer and a... Uh, 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 you know, testing medical things on a, on a prisoner. Yeah, things are getting slippery. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> she is uncomfortable with becoming an arms dealer, but she relents after Shepard argues his point. On the way back to the... the, 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 the on the way back to the Janai, McKay and Shepard get lost. Get lost! <laughs> McKay's scanner detects <laughs> some odd radiation that seems at odds with what they know about the Janai. They begin to follow the breadcrumbs and discover a hidden entrance to a bunker. They go check it out. The bunker is a huge facility underground, and they are surprised when they discover technology that far exceeds what they had seen on the surface. Are there two different groups living on this planet? And then they are caught. Still trying to figure things out, everything is made clear when Cohen walks in to interrogate the prisoners. On the surface, Taylor and Ford can feel the tension. They are concerned that their friends haven't returned, but the Janai warned them of a wraith being spotted. They need to stay inside. Cohen has a conundrum. Normally, they would simply kill anyone who stumbled upon their great secret, but Shepard has the C4. They would normally kill who exactly? Everybody's in on the C- anyway. All right. Well, <clears throat> like if 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 people coming in with trade, it's trade. Like like if if oh if Taylor's, trade or pe- yeah 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 yep yep. If yep. Tra- Taylor's people came to trade and they ran into it, uh-huh. they would just shoot him, kill him, and say, "Oh well, the wraith got him," gotcha. without any evidence. Yep. Then, you know. But suddenly things click for McKay as he quietly no sorry he bleh, not quietly at all as he quite bluntly asks how far. The Janai have come in building a nuclear bomb. This surprises Cohen. He didn't expect them to be able to figure things out. Shepard cuts to the chase. They are looking for allies against the Wraith. The two parties come to an agreement. Help us make our bombs, and we'll give you food. Things might be looking up. They have a meal to celebrate. Unfortunately, dinner conversation reveals that the Wraith are no longer hibernating. This angers Cohen. Their plan had been to nuke the hive ships while all the wraith were sleeping, but now they are awake. Their hive ships are on the move. Shepard is able to talk Cohen down from his rage-fueled tantrum. The Atlantis team has a spaceship. All is not lost. Hmm, okay. Let's keep working together. They hatch a plan to sneak into a wraith hive ship. The Janai know the location of one. In the hive ship, they can steal a data node that will give them the locations of all the hive ships, and then with the Atlantis ships, we can hatch a grand plan to take down the Wraith. Weir is really unhappy with all of this, but she relents 
to Shepard's crazy idea again. Are we noticing a pattern? Yeah, I am noticing a pattern. <clears throat> Shepard's team, along with, the, with Cohen and Tyrus, fly off, the, to the, fly off to the planet of the Wraith Hive ship. Fortunately, it is there. Sneaking in is also relatively easy. Ford guards the jumper while the rest of the team head into the belly of the beast. Taylor and Tyrus split from Shepard, McKay, and Cohen. The, the group of three continue into the ship to find what they are looking for with relative ease. Taylor and Tyrus discover a room filled with humans taken by the Wraith for later feeding. One of these captured humans is awake! He sees them and begins screaming and begging for their help! Taylor immediately wants to help him. Tyrus holds her back. Their mission is one of stealth. They can't do anything to reveal to the Wraith that they are here, including shouting at each other and perhaps shooting a gun. But this guy continues to scream. And in a moment of panic, Tyrus turns and, oh, shoot. I mean, he shoots and him, him and whatever. And bang. Silencing the desperate captive, but not in a silent enough way. Of course, the gunfire alerts the Wraith even faster than a rescue attempt would have. Oh, you wrote that right there. I'm just reading it right there. Tyrus gets hit with a stunner. But Taylor is able to escape. Our heroes all meet back up at the jumper and are able to leave relatively easily. Cohen is angry that his friend was left behind, but he also has the data node. They need to get this information to safety. Back on the Janai homeworld, Cohen turns the table and attempts to betray the Atlantis team. The Janai will take all the C4 they have, this data node, and their ship. In exchange, they won't be killed. From Cohen's perspective, this seems like a fair trade. But Shepard has an ace up his sleeve. He tells jumpers two and three to decloak. With this greater firepower, the Jedi back off. Shepard also takes the data node. Cohen threatens Shepard. You did not want to make en- you do not want to make enemies of the Jedi. Shepard responds with his own extremely sassy, super down awesome put down. Ditto. Ooh! Burn! Sick burn! The Atlantis team departs and returns to Atlantis safely. Back on Atlantis, Weir tells Shepard that Sergeant Bates' team was also able to negotiate for food, so that's good. A uh, different place, though. Also, the data node reveals that the spread of the Wraith ship... The, the data node reveals that given the spread of Wraith ships, a simultaneous strike on all the hibernating ships would have been impossible. The Denai's plan would have never worked. In addition, they now have a count. The Wraith have over 60 ships in the Pegasus galaxy. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. You have now watched the episode. Yeah. And now read the synopsis to kind of, you know, refresh things up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of Underground? Hmm. All right. Let me have have, have a little drink of water here. Hold on. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll let you drink. Drink your water. Drink, drink, drink. Thank you. All right. So what I think. I am a... Okay, there, there, there's, there's, there's your first indication. I'm not, sure how, I'm not sure how to think about this one. Um, it wasn't really the kind of story that should have been... Looking at the tin and... You know, then looking at the 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 sort of the, the the story that was given, it should have been like a hard driving, tense, like double crossing type story, and it just it just felt anemic. 
Like, it didn't really have a whole lot of oomph. And I'm not exactly sure why not. I, I don't know if it was um some of the aspects of the story writing didn't seem to, like, necessarily lead from one spot to the other. So, you know, quick example, like the dinner scene, everyone's sitting around the table having a good time. We're going to we're going to blow up our nukes in about five years. Ha ha ha. Wait, we we don't have that time. Oh, I'm so mad. He storms off. And then, like, it was a relatively quick conversation for. Uh, Cohen to sort of, like, turn it all around. Um, It just didn't quite. I mean, maybe it was because he was planning on double crossing them all this time. And so he was just kind of looking for any excuse to continue the conversations, I suppose. I don't know. It seemed a little. I, 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 I don't know. So this duplicitous nature that they have, you know, hiding what they truly, you know, what they truly possess as far as technology, um, you know, uh, somehow keeping their little farming ways as a way to, like, hide them from the wraith. That makes absolutely no sense. Uh, we've seen other societies that are also relatively primitive and they're, like, getting called out, you know, right on time, right on schedule. There's a whole group of people that uh, think it's in their interest to kill everybody. Once they reach their 25th birthday, like, <laughs> it just didn't, I mean, maybe what we're seeing here are just a bunch of civilizations that have not, that, that it's been so long since the last culling that they've developed all of these, like, superstitions, basically, about what actually counts and what doesn't count. Well, that's certainly true, because um, keep in mind that in the pilot episode, we saw them go into what looked like a mountain complex. Yeah. And then when they came back, they realized that that mountain complex was not a mountain. It was a hive ship. Yeah. Which suggests that no less than several hundred years have passed. Uh, yes. Because there true. were trees on that mountain. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, so you're probably looking at, I mean, maybe there, there's, I, I don't remember what the official canon is. Uh, but if you just take that, you're probably looking at 500 years since the last major culling. I mean, now right? there are still wraith around, and so the terror of the wraith still exists for everybody at all times. But you know, the major culling was several hundred years ago, easily. Right. Right. Um, and with all that's going on, you certainly have a disparate quality to all of these different cultures. There's some interaction, but they also seem to be very uh, insular. And so, yeah, yeah, there you go. Now that I'm thinking about it, like, obviously, I guess, obviously, first off, also, I I, I don't know if if, uh, I have seen this before and just missed it, but this was definitely the first time that I noticed a a fully, um, it was probably CG, a fully CG gate. Uh, shot in juxtap- juxtaposition of live action. Like, it's not the first time that's happened. Okay. Um, but it definitely didn't look good. Uh, <clears throat> where's the DHDs? They around? Uh, yeah, they're there. And all these cultures know how to use a DHD? Apparently. And they all are totally fine with uh, just kind of having this like hyper advanced technology around whether, uh, you know, like being. Being, uh, you know, technology rejectors. I get it. In this case, they weren't. This is a ruse. But like the kids, the you know, the kid planet, they were all they all know how to they know how to bounce around and do things like 
I mean, it just it just weakens the well, notion of these different cultures having connections with each other, yet also not having any kind of confederation at all. So, so a um, the wraith actively work to reduce the capacity for um, confederation work development. Yeah. Um, and then you take a look at the the planet with the the kids who killed themselves at twenty five. Yeah. Um, they were well outside the the uh, they they were familiar with the wraith, and they'd had you know rumors and and lore about the wraith. That particular planet probably didn't know very much about the Stargate itself because yeah. they were quite a ways away from it. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have that going on. Um, but then you have other planets that. You know, it's like many of these cultures and civilizations reached um, levels that that are not far from the from U.S. culture and and Earth culture now, right? In terms of technology and whatnot, but uh, they also have this thing that's even more technologically advanced that they all know about that consistently, you know, knocks them back two pegs, right? Um. So I, I I hear what you're saying. Uh, the the Pegasus Galaxy is very different than than the Milky Way Galaxy in terms of how people use the Stargate. Um, uh, the Guawuld have have taught all of the people under their uh, thumbs that this is some sort of magic, um, and you know terrorized them in that regard. Yeah. Um, and then kept the the technological. Uh, development severely uh, limited, um, and only later on now in later seasons have we met some other groups that have started to develop uh, beyond that, mm-hmm. away from the Gould. But here, uh, it's a different situation in the Pegasus Galaxy, where where people are uh, they most of these cu- cultures and communities, uh, even if they are technologically um, depressed. Yeah. Uh, remember the time when they weren't like the Janai, like specifically says we remember a time when we were an interplanetary confederation. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Right. But the Wraith destroyed that, um, and now we're trying to keep things on the down low. And of course, this is, and we actually see this because um, uh, Cohen's biggest concern when he learned that the Wraith were awake is that. The Wraith are going to be able to find uh, their nuclear planning in the same way that the Atlantis expedition did. And they're hoping, well, okay, well, we, all we have to do is just shut everything down, get everything as quiet as possible, and, and just wait. And we'll wait for 50 years and hope that we can survive this, and in 50 years we can start this back up again. Right. That's what they were doing. Uh, because they knew exactly what you did, right? That that it doesn't take much for the Wraith to find this information. Right. And they're not trying to keep it hidden necessarily from the Wraith. I mean, they are, but but they also don't want other people to mess it up. Right. So, right. I mean, to me, that, that that's that that's plausible to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is plausible. I'm just kind of I'm just kind of realizing that the that that I, what I'm actually realizing is that this is this is suffering from a season one issue right they're starting they're, they're they're starting up a story and they've got a pretty good premise and they're 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 working with it but with all such stories that get introduced like there's parts about it that don't 
quite necessarily like click in like Lego bricks. Later on, when sure. you've had some time to explain things or retcon things or whatever, then all of a sudden there's all this stuff just starts to like mesh nicely and you're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. But and you know, so I shouldn't really necessarily be a uh a harsh critic in that regard at this time. It's still finding its feet. It's season one. It's episode eight or whatever it was. Seven. Um, eight. Eight. And yeah. So, but then let's bring it back to this episode. And then like, like I said, it, like it had this like feel of, of uh, double crossing and uh, you know, a raid on a Wraith ship and uh, an, uh, you know, an unexpected, uh, um, unexpected wrinkle. And, you know, all these aspects that should have been like driving and and tension making. And I just wasn't feeling the tension. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that the most tense part I felt was actually when that um, uh, when that Wraith prisoner bust, you know, burst his hand out of the wall. You know, help me, help me. And that one was resolved in what, 45 seconds. Um, It was pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and I'm also not yet feeling the, um, cohesion of our cast, which I don't think is there yet. You know, I just, you know, they got to give them a minute, but like, it just still, there's still a little bit of stiltedness in how the characters kind of engage with each other. Um, the best, uh, the best duo that we have i think right now is shepherd and weir and they don't get a lot of screen time and it's all the past couple of episodes it's just been in it's just been in a conference room <laughs> right it's right. just been in a conference room where where shepherd's like we gotta do this and we like i don't think we can and we like what else are or shepherd's like what else are we gonna do and we like all right do it like <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's about it right yeah like yeah like, you know, this one was a little bit more, right? They, they walked out on the balcony, you know, there was a little bit more, you know, exploration of, of character in that regard. But, um, you know, McKay is still kind of the foil right now. He's the comedic foil. Um, you know, we had a couple of moments of character development with him for sure. But the past little bit, he's just been this, you know, the, the smart aleck, which is not that bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the worst, but, you know, like. That's kind of what he brings. He brings the smart Alec energy. And um yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, wow, that's a that was a that was a really that's a that's a really in-depth analysis. My analysis this, this for this episode is uh I'm not sure why uh it should have drove somewhere but I didn't really feel like it was driving. I'm not sure about the chemistry of all the people that I'm seeing on screen. Uh there seems to be some logical like holes that are in the story that I probably should just step over because we're still kind of working on things. And I don't know, this kind of felt like a meh for me. <laughs> so I, that's where I'm at. What about you? What do you think about this episode? So um, it, it's interesting. Like, I love this project because I get to hear yeah, sure. your immediate reactions to things. And, um, you know, whereas with SG-1, um, I didn't start watching SG-1 with episode one. Right. Um, I kind of developed a love for this and then I went back and I'm like okay let's watch all of this from the beginning yep um uh and I don't remember exactly where they were in the series when I started watching regularly I certainly by this point in time I was watching it uh weekly as, as it came out 
um, and had been for a while. But Atlantis then becomes, um, you know, I entered into Atlantis from the beginning, um, you know, and so I was watching these one week at a time yep. at that time. And uh, you talked about how you were feeling a lack of cohesion from our core cast. Yeah. And um, I don't know if I could have put that into words at the time, mm-hmm. but I, as I look back, I agree with you. I think that there is that. There, there's, there is a, we're, we're not, so, I mean, the, by this point in time in SG-1, our characters in season one had kind of felt like they had kind of coalesced, that they'd kind of become a group. Um, it did uh, feel... There was still more yeah. development yeah. that needed to happen, and there mm-hmm. was, uh, but we're not getting that as fast in this one. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I can resonate with that, that uh, we're, we're still trying to figure out how does our team function as a team? Right. Um, you know, there, there's, we're still trying to figure that out. Um, in terms of this particular episode, uh, I agree with you that the tension is not as strong as it could have been. Mm-hmm. That, that I would have loved to see more tension. Um, we see dissonance right from the beginning. Yes. Right? As soon as Tyrus and Sora meet the group, uh, and they start talking, you can feel that there is some t- some tension within... I'm going to use the word dissonance, because then I can keep it away from the tension that me yep. as an audience members feel, yep. right? Yep. There's dissonance within the characters, uh, and you can feel that dissonance as they try to interact. And and the Janai and the Earth team never resolve that dissonance. It's always there, and it rubs, and... Sometimes it's a little bit less, and sometimes it's a lot more. Yeah. It certainly ends with a big, significant t- yep. dissonance. Yep. Um, and and I, I can see that, and I can feel that, but it doesn't, for me, quite translate into me feeling tense about the situation. Right. You know, I feel like if I were in this situation, I would be tense, but I'm not in the situation, and so I'm not tense, but I can tell that they're tense, and it makes sense that they're tense. But I'm not yeah. tense watching. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that's like the core that that that's I think there's like a genuine core difference between um, real life situations that are that that have tension and stories that have tension in storytelling. Tension is a it's it's a mechanic. It's a thing to be exploited. It's a it's a it's 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 an element that is intentionally manipulated in order to create a release on time in a way that makes you feel something. That's that that's what it's doing. Tension in the right. real world, there's no rules for it. It, it, it you know, it, it won't end at a certain time. You know what I mean? Like, it'll end, of course, but, you know, who knows how? Um, it, you know, who knows when? Tension in the real world has nothing to do with the sort of the theatrical tension that we're talking about in this sense. And I kind of did feel like we were watching, like, a tense situation in real life. You know, like, uh, I was kind of bagging on it when uh, Shepard with his aviators goes walking up and it's all like ditto to, you know, like, you don't, you don't, you don't, like uh, don't want to make enemies out of the Janai. Well, you don't want to make enemies of me either. Yeah. And like, it's it's absolutely something that someone would say in that situation. It wasn't like it was implausible, but it didn't carry any punch. It just felt like I was watching two people argue. And, you know, that's tense. But, I don't, you know, whatever. 
Like, I don't – maybe that's a part of it. I don't necessarily have um, – uh, I haven't yet felt like I want to root for our good guys. I don't feel like mm. I want to root against them. I'm not saying that. I'm just acknowledging, like, it's like, yeah, you're out here exploring the Pegasus galaxy because you can, which is fine. Um, and you're figuring it out because you're on your own, which is fine. And you've got a set of problems. Uh, survival uh, with the basic things like food. Survival with things like energy. Survival with things like uh, avoiding or defeating a particular enemy. These are all great. But I'm sure, well, I'm not sure. I will hope that as time goes on, I end up developing a, a, a... connection to the characters in a way that where i do root for them where i'm like yeah like i need you to win um right now it's just it's it's almost encyclopedic or not encyclopedic it's almost um i wanted to use the word encyclopedic in the way of like you know you you want to learn about um you know you want to learn about the battle of gettysburg and you flip open an encyclopedia and you'll get all the facts and figures and the movements and the results and uh, you'll get some information about uh, what people were uh, saying at the time. And you might even get some information about what people were thinking, maybe even feeling at the time. But it's all at a distance. And uh, in an encyclopedic way, you never feel like you're in it. And that's, of course, that's on purpose. I kind of felt like I was watching this from that kind of a distance where it was all happening. Mm-hmm. And, yep, okay, there's that and there's that. And this is the movement. And here's the result. And, da, da, da. and here we are. And it ended. I didn't really feel like I was a part of the story. I felt like I was observing the story. And, you know, storytelling can sometimes do that where it doesn't necessarily feel like you're a part of it. But the best stories absolutely make you feel like you're a part of it. And that's yeah. that's the disconnect that I had for this one. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and I won't argue against that. Um, some things that I liked about this episode. Mm-hmm. A, I loved Cole Meany. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, when I first saw him on screen, I'm like... It's Cole Meany. This yes. is awesome. Yes. And I wanted him to be a good guy. I, I wanted him to be a friend. I wanted him to be an ally. Yep. And 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 he does not deliver on that. And I think that is actually excellent. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Uh, and I thought that he did a, a good job. Um, you know, when he says, you do not want to make an enemy of the Janai, um, I felt that tension. Right. I, I felt that, that, I mean... To me, that felt like okay. This guy is not lying here, right? This is this is not some empty threat. He's not just bragging, right? He's he's uh saying you're in trouble. You know, we're gonna see each other again, and you're not gonna be happy with what we see. And I know um, you can't answer it, but you know, are we? That's another thing, though, is that it's feeling like you know, Planet of the Week right now. And so, I mean, absolutely, you could bring the Janai back for sure. So. Uh, but, I will say that I'll, I'll say this because this won't spoil too much. Yes, we are going to see the Janai again. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then that matters. Um, that threat matters. You know, um, this is, um, and I think this is probably one of the first. You know, as you mentioned, right? We've seen kind of like the 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 planet of the week. Yeah. That's what we've kind of gotten so far. Yep. Um, and here we see a shift. Right. We're, we're moving from a planet of the week to a planet who is introducing a new, uh foil for our heroes mm-hmm. um and of course it's the first one that's happened and so it's hard to say is this actually what it is is this is going to pay off 
Uh, if you don't have the payoff, and if the payoff doesn't work, then this introduction really falls flat. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I won't speak about how it ends. Right. Right. But we will see them again. So this is an intentional attempt by the writers to create another foil for our heroes. And they do create another foil for our heroes. And we see more of them in the future. Okay. But I can't say much more than that without talking about those future episodes. Yes. And don't do that. That's against the rules. That is against the rules. Um, so, you know, in terms of an episode that introduces a new group of people, mm-hmm. it's fine. It does that. It, it does, you know, and it's an interesting idea, right? What would happen if you had a group that was uh, 1940s, 1950s level technology right? Um, that tries to hide as 1850s farmers? Right, right. Um. And that it and it makes sense why they would do that. Um, yes, that's right. Uh, and and so that that question becomes an interesting question, and and we see that. Um, I was unimpressed with the the matte painting CG stuff that was done in the uh, in the the bunker. Wraith. Oh yeah, uh, it, it felt like we were looking at two very different um, uh, ratios. That's not quite the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I think I know uh, what you're saying. You know, it it didn't it didn't feel like it was uh, the right size. Um, it, it it felt. Are you talking the bunker or the wraith ship itself? The the bunker. Okay. Uh, I mean the wraith ship as well, but yes. in particular the bunker. Like like when they open that door and they look out into this chasm yes. of stuff. Yeah. I'm like, uh, scale scale is the word I'm looking for. Not ratio. Julie helped me out with that. Um, <laughs> the scale I, I was huge, a, yeah. It was supposed you know, to be, the, like, the, epic, but... Yeah, the scale between those two things, between our heroes and the door, and what they were looking out into, didn't seem... didn't feel like it matched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that's a, that's a real tough one to do. Yep. Um, but... Uh, I was not impressed with the um, the effects of the um, wraith ship matte map painting either. Like that one, just I don't know. It just once once they were on a set, it was cool. But you know, when they stepped off of the uh, puddle jumper, yeah. And you know. here's and here's the reality of 2004. Right, 2004's CG was as good as this. This yep. was what you got. It was this better is than, as good as you could get. Better than 1997, but. Uh, we're still a ways off. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we we are not in this point. Um, although, admit it, now we're talking about things that are happening at the same time. Uh, roughly, is like the Lord of the Rings in yep. the movies. Yep, had legions of orcs that were all CG, and they mixed some of them with a, a very you know foreground with non CG actors. Yep, and that, and you couldn't tell it looked seamless yes the only thing in that movie that i can recall at this point in time that really looked fake was when legolas in return of the king jumped up onto the oliphant yes or whatnot yeah um and and that looked like a very bad cg yes i mean it looked i mean it wasn't horrid it just looked fake it was cool Um, but it looked fake yes but you know 
TV shows are not on that epic movie budget. No, not even close. And this is as good as you can get with what they have. But 20 years later, it doesn't... I mean, frankly, it didn't look... I mean, it looked noticeable at the time. Yes, of course. Uh, uh, but it looks especially noticeable for us now. Yes. Because it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Um, but there you go. There you go. Um, so just to, you know, uh, uh, appease those listeners out there who really need a good um, philosophical discussion. <laughs> um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, so Weir and Shepard sit down and have a conversation about being arms dealers. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. Um, and then what do you mean trusting these guys that you don't trust? I mean, they've already shown that you can't trust them. Um, what are your thoughts on on this whole process? So um, I'm definitely in the zone of that uh, <clears throat> that resources make a group of people generous. And what do I mean by that? It's that when you are faced with, as a group of people, when you're faced with a situation where your resources are limited or depleting, that... Uh, you start to get harsher. You start to get more cynical. You start to uh, get more brutish with the world around you. That uh, that the that the act of of sacrifice in the midst of having nothing is actually that. That's why that's noble because it's unusual. People, uh, especially groups of people, get harder and harder and harder with the fewer things they have. And so we've got a group of people our heroes who are living in a situation where they have no, they have no supply train, right? Like they right. have what they brought on their back and that's it. And so making moral compromises in order to put food on the table is absolutely a thing that people do. Absolutely. And so before we saw them making moral compromises with, um, testing a drug and its inner and its interaction against a, a, a sentient creature. And there was the moral ambiguity in that. And then there, then there was a, there was a, there was another moral ambiguity of, of uh, disseminating it on a population without understanding its effects. And then there was another moral ambiguity on top of that, which was understanding its effects are, ha- are heinous. Do you still do it? Right. And all the while our heroes were engaged with that conversation, but you know, they only really like had that one big conversation itself. Uh, you know, we're in Shepherd of like, you know, do we test this on a, a prisoner or not? Type of a thing. And the answer was, well, yeah, we do. Right. Uh, this one, the question is, you know, do we provide a group of people, um, you know, with an explosive that's far beyond what they had developed themselves? And you know, the the conclusion they came to was, yeah, you do. I don't find any, um any friction in that because that just, that just makes sense. Uh, you know, I understand what Weir is objecting to. I disagree that considering themselves arms dealers is like, a, you know, necessarily equivalent. Um, if they had said, we need your C4 to blow up the people that we hate over that Ridge, that would be different. <laughs> like, like I understand that, that, that stuff that is used for one purpose in peacetime can absolutely be repurposed for a different purpose in wartime. And so, you know, that, you know, I'm not being naive about it, but 
the 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 proposal on the table was uh, provide a technology for these people to help them do you know what they need to do faster or better in exchange for a resource that we very desperately need, right? We need food and we don't have it. And so let's figure out a way to trade such that we do, that we end up getting it. Um, so I don't really necessarily find a, a, a particularly galling um, conundrum in these two examples of what the Atlantis team would be doing. Uh, I, I find it, intriguing to explore that but i also am kind of a realist about it like you know you have a you have an expedition who is far from any resources and cut off and they start doing things like that's what people do should they or shouldn't they uh, um i don't know it kind of depends on whether or not you think that propagation of the human species is important or not right like like <laughs> if if you do think that's important then yes you go and you like kill baby seals and eat their meats um if you don't then you accept that you are just a grand part of a five billion year plan that puts you into the rock anyway, and therefore might as well just die here. Like, you know, it's there you go. Those are both valid choices. They just have extremely, extremely different uh, directions for any one choice. So that's those are my thoughts on that. What about you? What do you think about? So, yeah, thank you very much for that uh, analysis. I appreciate that. Sure. Uh, that gave me things to think about. Um, what what I think about when I, when I watch this is how cavalier uh, Shepard is to um, offer this C4. Yeah, he was very quick with it. And uh, I, I mean, he's like, so, oh, oh, you want to blow up a stump? Oh, absolutely. I can totally do that. Ford, blow it up with the C4. Boom. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that, that type of, um, I mean, it's like Shepard felt the tension of these negotiations. He right. felt that. He, right. he, you know, he looks around at his team. He looks at Taylor, and Taylor looks like something is different here than it was before. And yeah. it's not simply that we have Atlantis people here and not um, Taylor's uh, home population. Yeah. Good point. I, that part, I think that point was missed so, on me. So, so there, there's some tension there yeah. that we see our characters feel, and I mean, I suppose you could, you could, um, you could call that, uh, you know, just the tension of, of, you know, a hard negotiation. Right. But uh, and and maybe Taylor was like, yeah, these are you know strong negotiators, but they're fair, and they get to the situation, and you see the strong, and you don't see the fair so much. Um, but I don't know. There, there's some tension there. And and then for Shepard to say, oh, well, let me give you this very dangerous explosive. Um, you know, that's... It, the, the question at hand is not whether they should or shouldn't do it, but how do you introduce that? And do you do this in a way... Like, he gets wiser later on when he's like, how many of these ships do you have? He's like, oh, well, just the one. Uh, well, we know he has more than the one, you know, but, uh, uh, but you know, he gets wiser with, with his uh, dissemination of information. Uh, and, and at the beginning, he's just very cavalier about it with the C4. Yep. Um, and, you know, he gets called on that, um, I think, appropriately. I think you're right that this, um, 
isn't quite the same thing as turning into arms dealers, but it is a morally slippery slope. Oh, well, yeah. That needs to be addressed because, you know, um, giving them C4, um, and we actually see that here, right? right? Well, we're giving them the C4 anyway. Well, what's the, what's the difference between that and helping them build, actually, like, finish building their nukes and tell, teaching them how to make uh, the, the enriched uranium that you need? Because uh, they already said that they were having trouble pulling the, the stuff out that they didn't want. Yeah. Um, so these are, these are small steps. Um, I would have liked to see more conversation between Weir and, uh, at least Weir and Shepard, on this topic as we go through these processes. Um, because that's the, the, that's the, those are the leaders that we have these conversations with. Um, and, and we kind of get, we, we move too fast through that. You know, I mean, as you're talking about, though, I'm also kind of realizing that I can't, you can't fault a space exploration show from doing this, and they all do it, but like, and, and, and you can't tell a good story if you go down this path I'm about to suggest, but man, I am getting a little bit tired of every single one of these planets being homogenous, right? So let me, let me kind of reframe that a tad. So you go to this planet, and there are the Janai, and they are the traitors that people engage with because they live next to the Stargate. And this planet only has one Stargate. And <clears throat> let's pretend, though, that there are, I don't know, four or five dozen other cultures on that planet, all in a similar boat, more or less, right? Where they've all got called off so hard that they've reverted in technology. Um. In my little hypothetical, you can't tell a story without immediately getting bogged down in the details. So you don't do it. You don't, you don't, you don't go down this path. You keep it homogenous so that you have a little bunker and now the Janai are these more technologically advanced because that's blah, 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 blah. But then all of a sudden, like, like helping the Janai build an atomic bomb for purposes of, of, of defeating Wraith ships becomes much more complex because it's like, yeah, but what about your beef with that culture over there? <laughs> On this planet. And, you know, over and over and over again, we, we just never have that situation arise. And again, we can't because it's 43 minutes. It's television. It's one planet, one week. Like, yep. Like, yep. that's that's how it's going to be. We can't get into this nitty gritty. But now those kinds of like, you know, now are we arms dealers questions become much more prevalent or much more realistic. Sure. We can be allies right now. Taking care of the wraith together. And then let's pretend we succeed. What are you going to do with these nukes now? Like, right? Like, that's, a, that's legit. We can't get into that, though, because what this episode was actually about was about um, uh, double-crossing, like, you know, uh, uh, a, a group of people who, through subterfuge, keep themselves safe, and a culture that's built around that being, uh, 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 what's the best word? suspicious wow that took forever uh, being suspicious <laughs> of everything to the point of being willing to double cross that's fine and we are then given a couple of really core pieces of information uh that not every wraith ship is awake that there are these data devices that you can get a hold of that one of them tells you an awful lot about a whole lot and the information we got off of that one is there are a ton of wraith ships in the galaxy this is mm -hmm. bad, right? So in that regard, there's a whole lot of good information in through here. But um, yeah, we kind of 
I don't know. We got there. I, it was an encyclopedia. I feel like I was reading an encyclopedia entry. I think that's really where it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is an episode that... So I, I've been reading a lot of Brandon Sanderson novels. Yeah. And Brandon Sanderson is an excellent storyteller. And if you listeners out there are unfamiliar with Brandon Sanderson and you enjoy fantasy, epic fantasy novels, uh, definitely pick up his books. They are fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, one of the things that he does, especially early on, is there's a lot of necessity in setting things up. And it takes time for him to set everything up. Mm-hmm. And those can be chapters that are harder to get through. Yeah. Um, because you're not seeing a lot happen. You're not experiencing a lot happen. You haven't learned your characters well enough to have emotional investiture in them. Um, so you're just kind of slogging through it. Um, but there is payoff. Um, and this is an episode that kind of feels like an early season episode, early season one episode. Yeah. Where we're, we got to set up another, uh, adversary for our heroes. And, uh, it, it, all it does is just kind of sets them up and we see that there's potential there, but we don't get to see the payoff of it. Yep. We have to wait for the payoff. Um, and we have to trust right now. And I had to do this back in 2004. You have to do this right now. You have to trust that there will be payoff in the future as we get through this process. Um, for my, for my position, I think that's trust worthy of, of being given because you know stuff that carries a lot of weight like right now i'd be like mm, i don't know maybe i've got better things to do with my time than watch atlantis <laughs> but you know like yeah we'll we will carry on we'll absolutely carry on and 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 you know yeah if the payoff is good you know for a fact i'll be just like oh man such good payoff you know like i'll love it yeah i'll absolutely yeah. love it and and so and here's the here's part of the thing also with with television series and franchises like this, right? Um, and I'll use Star Trek as an example. I grew up watching Next Generation. Yes. And I watched um, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine started when I was in high school. Um, and when I finished Deep Space Nine, that became... I mean, Next Gen is al- will always be my first Star Trek. And... Deep Space Nine, I think, is my best, my favorite Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I appreciate the original series, and I appreciate Voyager, but Voyager is not my thing. I've seen all of Voyager. It's fine. I, I I don't have the emotional connection with Voyager. I don't think, in my opinion, the stories are as good in Voyager as they are in even Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that as overall that Star Trek Enterprise is weak. Yep. Um, uh, Now, when you get to the new stuff, things change a little bit. Uh, But I also know that there are a lot of people out there who love Voyager and think Voyager is the best Star Trek out there. Yeah. Better than Deep Space Nine, better than Next Generation. And all I can say is, okay, I'm glad it's here for you. Right. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, SG-1, I think, will always be my Stargate. Sure. And I appreciate Atlantis. 
But mm-hmm. I also know people who love Atlantis better, think Atlantis is better yeah. than, than SG-1. Sure. Um, I don't think that that's ever going to be me, but I can also still love and appreciate and, you know, go for the ride, uh, even if I'm not as uh, emotionally and personally invested, ultimately, in the yeah, story sure. as others. And we got to remember, like, we're watching these, you know, like, you know, I'm watching this for the first time. I'm in my 40s. Right, like yeah, yeah, that matters. <laughs> like, it does. You're watching, it does. If, if you're watching an imaginative story and you're in your, in if if you're like in your teens or or you're or younger, like that's a, a completely different experience. Like you're you're running around the backyard. Your brain is absolutely going 110 miles an hour in the imagination zone of, I'm John Shepard and I'm gonna save the day and and like woo, I'm gonna give C4 to everybody. Like you know, like. Like, it's a completely, I'm looking at this, and I think it's worthy of looking at it as, you know, looking at it as science fiction, and science fiction has a, you know, a place in in asking good questions, and sometimes the show doesn't ask those questions because, you know, whatever, it's just doing its thing. It's setting things up. It's it's making for, making for a fun ride, and, you know, hey. Yeah. Sometimes the ride is fun. Sometimes the ride is less fun. It just, just depends. Yep. All right. Well, um, it's time. Yeah. You have struggled with this episode. You've yes. kind of gone back and forth with some things about it. Um, but it's time to codify your feelings of this episode in a Chevron rating. Yep. Uh, for me, it's definitely, it's still meh, but it's positive meh. So um, we all know that that turns into a four out of seven. Um, I think that it probably could have told its story better, probably. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it could have done it. I think that trying to figure out a way for me to feel uh, like a part of the tension as opposed to observing the tension would have gone a long way. Uh, I'm just not sure where you could have gone with that. Maybe maybe cut out a little bit of, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where you could have gone with that necessarily in 43 minutes. So I'm not going to necessarily just like armchair quarterback this thing to death. But like I I wasn't driven by this thing. I, it, 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 it happened. I observed it. I got information. There we go. Four out of seven. <laughs> so yeah. what about you? What'd you think? So I am very similar to where you are. Um, I'm trying to decide if I give it a half Chevron for what I know. Right. Yes, that's reasonable. Um, and maybe, so I'm going to give it a four and a half. Okay. All right. Uh, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's good story. It's not great story. It's it's got holes. It's got some problems, um, but I think that uh, I, I I need to give it just a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. for my reasons. Yep. Um, and so I'll give it a four and a half. Okay. Very good. All right. Now I believe is the time when we uh, look at the predictions. Yes. And I have found the Facebook predictions. Go for it. So let me get started here. Uh, We start with Sean. Hi, Sean. Sean says, one of my favorite episodes of season one. Enjoyable and full of unexpected twists at every corner. Mm. Yeah. The expedition team are getting better at working together. Mm. Uh Will we see O'Brien again? Uh, Zach will have said so or not already, so nothing to see here 
<laughs> this is the part where Zach Nothing to see head. here, people. Move along. There it is. <laughs> Uh, this one is a six from Sean, and he thinks that we will both give it a six. Oh, a little high. A little bit Glad high. Glad to hear that you like it so much, though. That's good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I could have given it, I mean, Cole Meany's performance in my book does give this, um, a kick in the pants, too. Yeah. And I could potentially give my, see myself, uh, giving it. Uh, a little bit of a bump just for cold meaning, which was not reflected in my four and a half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to change it, but but I could see that happening. Yep. All right, we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. It's hard to believe we are getting close to the halfway points of these seasons. While you reflect on how close we are, here are some notes I wrote. Uh-huh. Number one, if I'm going to another galaxy, I'm definitely going to find a way to make coffee. I'll work with a botanist if I need to. <laughs> We're going to have those beans, people. And they're not going to be underground. Nope. Uh, number two, this Cohen fellow, uh, he seems a bit low energy. Maybe they should share the last of their coffee with him, and then he'll be energized. <laughs> I apologize for nothing, he says. <laughs> Will he be transported to a new state of... Uh, of uh... Of energy level, uh, you know he he'll he'll be killed and then remolecularized as somebody new that doesn't realize it's somebody new. <laughs> Number three, with, these Janai people seem a bit selfish. Uh, yeah, okay, I could see that. Uh, they they are single minded in a way that I don't think is very helpful for them as a culture. But I have seen single mindedness in other places as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, I wonder if that moonshine scene is a callback to the SG-1 pilot episode. I hope it is, because otherwise it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I didn't think about the SG-1 episode, and I was also like, yeah, what what was that? There we go. Uh, n- yeah, number five. I mean, it, it was, frankly, it was a way to, it was a way to get Ford involved without actually <laughs> meaning anything, <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. No. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Number five. I wonder if Cohen was a has a. Uh, I wonder if Cohen has a pole like Batman and Robin that changes his clothes as he slides down it. I, you know, I. Was, I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't such a big deal with Cohen because there is. Uh, it's unclear how much time has passed. Yes. But when uh, Sora yes. and Tyrus yes. take Taylor and Ford yes. down to the bunker, yes. they're wearing their Amish clothes at the beginning. Yep. And when we get down to the bunker, they have changed into their military Janai stuff. Uh-huh. So you're telling me, they're like, follow me. And we take them down to this bunker and they're like, hold on a second. I need to change my clothes. I mean, it would have been more fun if, there, if the Janai had been maybe a shade more advanced in some regards, but behind in others. So... Maybe maybe they maybe they 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 have like holographic technology so that you know when you when you pass the threshold all of a sudden you discover they're not wearing Amish clothes at all but you know they're still trying to figure out how to make things go boom. Um, but yeah. No. Nope. No. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Uh, number six. You know, if I had a nickel for every time Amish people held me at gunpoint, <laughs> I have two six. nickels. But don't you think that's a little often? No, I'm just kidding. Carry on. Yeah. Oh, they're all using the Batman pole to change before going underground. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Number eight. Good to know that atomic means the same thing in the Pegasus galaxy, and it's lucky to know that it's lucky they know uranium too. 
Uh, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I mean, if if they're still living in our, uh, I mean, we have to assume that they they all speak English. They all, so speak, if they all English. speak English. You know that makes sense. And the fact that they're in our same universe uh, would stand to reason that that they're, um, you know, element two fifty five or whatever it is uh, would be the same. As I mean, ours. But it is convenient. It is convenient. Um, number nine, that guy towards the end telling them about the Wraith ships is now a successful real estate agent in Vancouver. Guy telling them about the Wraith ships at the end? Oh, they're talking about, uh, 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 Grodin, I think. It, 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 I don't know. Is he talking about Peter Veroni? Is he a real estate agent? I don't oh. know. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Sell those houses. So, so move, uh, he continues, I predict that Zach and Brent, based on the time and sacrifices that need to be made to watch the episode, are both going to give it a five, but oh. for different reasons. Close. See you next week. All right. Thank yeah, you, Kevin. There you go. Uh, now we have Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says, sorry, this is a long one. Oh, okay. Okay. Taylor introduces Team Atlantis to some new trading partners, the Janai. Their society is pre-industrial and agricultural, agriculture-based, which is good because McKay is hungry. Yeah, he's Besides hungry. Besides food, the Janai don't seem to have much to offer against the Wraith, which is weird because their leader looks like he could be a pretty good engineer. <laughs> 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 That's some interesting jewelry Tyrus is wearing. Uh, is that the new Apple Watch? <laughs> Cohen is reluctant to trade away the Janai harvest until the team show him an exciting new way of clearing land. Suddenly, he's in the mood to party. Mm-hmm. What, McKay doesn't want to stick around for Thanksgiving dinner? An unauthorized shortcut leads Shepard and McKay to a highly suspicious secret bunker. Oh no. Uh, they've been taken prisoner by some military guys. Cohen is not pleased with their snooping. Following a quick costume change, he confronts them with the truth. <laughs> the Janai only cosplay as Colonial <laughs> Williamsburg uh, when they hear the kawoosh. But they are really mid-20th century mole people, hiding their technological <laughs> advancement and the majority of their society underground. Cohen is willing to let Team Atlantis live in exchange for all the weapons tech. Although, if McKay doesn't shut up, Shepard might consider him an acceptable casualty. Uh huh. Why does a smart person like Dr. Weir even let these bozos out of her sight? <laughs> She's the diplomacy expert. This was supposed to be the, a routine trade mission. <laughs> the Janai have been developing a n- nuclear technology to wipe out the Wraith, though how they planned to deliver it to all the Hive ships without getting caught using only the Stargate is a little sketchy. Some of the Wraith are awake, you say? Oh, no time to delay! Or make a more detailed plan. Let's dive right in! Yeah. Taylor almost succeeds in getting through to Sora until her weirdly young dad is killed. I checked, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Ari Cohen is only 12 years older yep. than Aaron Chambers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I did that too. I did that too, Rowan. I thought that was weird. Sora didn't realize that people she knew and cared about might actually die on this extremely dangerous mission. This is unacceptable. Cohen agrees. There would definitely, for sure, have no have been no casualties if the Janai had gone in alone. Definitely. I guess this means we're not going to be friends, but at least Team Atlantis learned something important. The Wraith are coming. Hmm. Yep. Didn't we already know that? Yes, but but there are a that. lot of them! Yes. Uh, I feel like we knew that too. Oh, well, well uh, 
at least they have a cool new thumb drive. Yeah, huge one. <laughs> this is a stronger episode than last week's, but it feels like much of the plot is driven by the Janai being a little too unreasonable. Brent will enjoy this one and be happy to see Colmini. He'll give it a five. Yeah, close. Zach will give it a four and a half. Right this on the episode, money. Right on the money for me. Uh, this episode has an IMDb rating of 7.5, which is a four Chevron rating, putting it in the bottom half of Stargate episodes overall. Oh, okay. All right. There you go. And then we have JD. Hi, JD. JD says, another day, another good impression made in the Pegasus Galaxy. <laughs> the SG team, aren't they all technically an SG team? Ruined centuries of planning of a society they just met, but somehow Colmini is the bad guy. I always like this episode and have always started on it, and have usually started on it when I have done an Atlantis rewatch. Oh, okay. I would put it as a six for me. Uh huh. I think Zach and Brent will hover around the same area, with Zach using his point five just to irritate Brent. <laughs> Glad I, to be back in regular listening again. Yeah, right on. Okay, I think I think we're good there. All right, so on the discords. Yes. Uh, we've got uh, David making another meme, so go go check that out. It involves, uh, it involves uh, the difference between the Federation and the Pegasus Galaxy. And then we have uh, Kevin making a prediction, but not about the show. So you should check okay. that out, too. Unfortunately, Kevin was wrong about his prediction, so go check that out. All right. We've got Jen. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. Rations are getting low with the Atlantis expedition, and they need to find allies with whom they can trade. Maybe they can also trade in McKay for something useful while they're at it. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor made contact with the Janai, an Amish-like creature culture, who might be able to support <laughs> Amish-like <Atlantis>. creature. <laughs> <laughs> who might be able to? No, she wrote culture. I said creature by accident. I um, know. <laughs> who might be able to support Atlantis with food from their own agriculture? Although things are different than how they seem, nonetheless, the two parties agreed to become trade partners in exchange for explosives to clear the fields, quote unquote, for harvest purposes solely. Sure. That's <laughs> Sir all Jan. I want this for, really. <laughs> sure, Jan. <laughs> she put <laughs> the Brady Bunch meme. Anyway, um, guess what? Our new friends aren't what they're pretending to be. Ah! I guess what? this is supposed to be a good episode. I guess this is supposed to be a good episode. And if I would and if I would have had an open mind, I would have liked it. But my head was full and heavy with real life issues. Oh no. It was I'm sorry to hear that. Full with real life issues that need solving. And like that, it took me three tries to get through the episode. Yeah. Oh, ouch. Ratings wise, I'm at a loss. Shrug. It's it, so it's meh-ish. Three out of eight chevrons for me. The episode probably deserved more, which uh, Brent and Zach hopefully agree on. Brent will be giving this a solid five out of eight chevrons. A little high. Zach agrees, although he might be inclined to lead for a 5.5 chevrons. That little half oh, chevron yeah. bump. Ooh. Well, you got that half chevron bump. That's but, right. Uh, uh, it was yep. off, by a, off by one. So that's uh, that's what we got on the discords. Thank you, Jen. All right. Thank you, Jen. And now we have, do you have some emails? Uh, we start with Edward. Hi, Edward. Oh, hey, uh, uh, Zach, you had invited me to take a reading. Uh, uh, Ed had sent, Edward had sent an uh, email. He said to take a read at it. I did. And guess what, friends? I'm full of it. I'm full of it. Ed was exactly helpful, wonderfully helpful in describing how uh, in the science community, it isn't like this dog eat dog like world that I was kind of portraying it to be. 
but in fact is much more uh you know there's there's much more nuance to it and 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 Zach was definitely more right than I was giving Zach credit for at the time. So thank you, Ed, for thank you, Ed. setting me straight on that one. Appreciate that. Um so Ed starts this one with We give thanks to our new friends. Yes. Uh-huh. Around June, both of you said you were taking a long break for a bunch of reasons. At the same time, I was in the middle of moving my family across the probably country uh-huh. for a new job and thought, great, I'll come back when they post some new episodes later. As you can imagine, I got distracted a couple weeks ago. I thought, oh, I wonder if they've started up again. Oh, boy, did I miss a lot. <laughs> well, welcome back. Welcome back. Anywho, I'm predicting Brent will continue to be really intrigued by the quiet technological advancements of people for within the Pegasus galaxy, mm-hmm. much in contrast to the Milky Way in SG-1, mm-hmm. especially that they find Chief O'Brien's secret stash of bagels and cream cheese. Oh, yes, that would be nice. That would be nice. Uh, are these wraith ships alive, like Moya? That would be a mm-hmm. Farscape reference, oh. for those of you who uh, don't I, know. I don't, I don't know. Um, says, is the Stargate franchise slowly morphing into Farscape? No, Edward, of course not. <laughs> we can't talk about that right now. <laughs> I like this episode. And- See, here's good news. I haven't seen Farscape, so I won't know. I'll just be none the wiser. Yep, 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 yep. I like this episode. Until Taylor's capriciousness on the Wraith ship. I was yeah. immediately angry that she would turn on a dime from insisting they save a doomed soul to the point of giving away their position to suddenly fleeing and leaving the Janai behind without recourse. You know what? I would agree with you on I, that. I, I think so, too. I was like, uh, you know, I mean, I, at the time, there was a single Wraith guy there, and you have a gun. You know you can shoot him in the head a couple of times, and yes, yeah. he'll bounce back up, but that will give you enough time that you theoretically could have potentially saved Tyrus's life, yes. and then you wouldn't have pissed off his way-too-old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Uh, Edward continues, I went from enjoying it to frustrated with it. I yeah. imagine what the rest of the series would have been like had her character not broken for some reason. Mm. I mm. suspect Brent will give it a four. Uh-huh. Yes. I suspect yes. Zach will give it a Five oh, for all oh. the above reasons. Oh, so close. But because he also knows that Chief O'Brien will stop at nothing to get those locks and capers. <laughs> very close, Edward. Very, very close. <laughs> oh, Chief O'Brien is a kindred soul. Indeed. All right. We have Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. She says, another episode where we meet a Pegasus galaxy civilization willing to go to extremes to protect themselves from the Wraith. This is becoming a pattern. Mm-hmm. That is true. Yes. And I would actually say that it is a reasonable pattern, uh, given the tyranny that the Wraith have provided against the people of the Pegasus galaxy, the fact that many of them um, are willing to go to such extraordinary means to try to fight back. Yes. Totally makes sense to me. Yep. That's my thought. Uh, she continues, we're also seeing a pattern of decisions being made on mission by Shepard and company that limit Weir's ability to contribute. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. What happens between Taylor and Tyrus on the Wraith ship bothers me. If mm. entering Wraith ships is going to be a habit for the team, coming across people stored for later feeding will happen. 
It's a situation full of ethical implications and worth discussion, but here it's only introduced to escalate the conflict. Yeah, right. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's a good story, but the ethical conf- conflicts of sharing weapons, technology, and treatment of humans stored for food take a backseat to the action. Brent gives it a five. Uh-huh. Close. But and Zach, yeah. a four and a half. No, oh, got that one. Oh, very yep. close. Very close. Yep. And uh, finally, we have Mr. David himself. Hello, Mr. David. Who gives us a no coffee in this Chevron encoding bias buffer. Well. That's that's a really disappointing bias buffer. I, I uh, agree. Uh, are the Janai good? Are the Janai good bad guys or bad good guys? Ah. Hmm. Are they really as two-faced as their name would sort of imply? Time will mm-hmm. tell, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, for me, makes two very good episodes back-to-back. Thank you, Atlantis writers. This is the show I remember. Wow. Brent gives it a five chevrons for Chief O'Brien, and Zach will give it a six chevrons for having foresight. Little, yeah, well, yeah. I did bump my rating for yes. The foresight. Yes, yes. A wee bit high. A wee bit. Uh, just, just a wee. Just, 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 just a wee, wee bit. bit. Okay. Thank you very much for all of your predictions. Yes. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. They're exciting. And now, Brent. Ah, yes. Next week, we return our attention to the SG-1s. Yes. In an episode entitled, Sacrifices. Aha. Uh-huh. And I ask you, what is Sacrifices all about? Sacrifices. Sacrifices. Ah, uh, boy. Hmm. My, my, my funny brain isn't working right now. Okay, we'll, we'll just dive right in. We'll see what happens. Okay. Next time. We always dive right in to see what well, happens. Well, yeah, this is going to be especially bad. Next time on Stargate SG-1. The SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. This is a world full of possibility and and wonderment and 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 story with profound implications at every turn. As our heroes travel through the world, they find a group of people who have things to say and things to do. And those doings and sayings create story tension, the thing that Brent loves so much. They continue to have their story tension occur because they are suddenly confronted with an unexpected twist. Yes, they did not see that coming, did they? No, they have a choice to make. Do they let plan A occur or plan B? But both have but both have consequences. Bo- <laughs> both have <laughs> But you don't know what it is because I don't either. But they're going to have to make a sacrifice. <laughs> Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 where Brent can't come up with anything at all. And he has to come up with something on the fly like this where he sacrifices his own... I don't know. Join us! Sacrifices! Yes! (laughs) So, (laughs) I'll tell you what you got right. Okay. There is a story that happens. Yes. And the story uh, creates problems for our characters. Yes. And they have to make decisions about whether they're going to do A or B. Uh-huh, yes. And those decisions have consequences. I was right. You got all of that right. Let's see. 
You see, I just keep I should just keep these predictions really generic like that then. Well, that's what it works for the fortune tellers. <laughs> so, uh, so should we see if I uh, if I got it right? Should we see if I did it? Let, let us see what uh, David's promo has in store for us as we figure things out. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. I hit play now. Next time on Stargate SG One. How's the trip? Hey, Braytech. I have been betrayed. It's I trust the most. That's good, eh? Braytech, what's wrong? There was a complication. Told you is there was a complication. Is this the betrayal that has angered yes. Teal? The time to strike is now. There's or is uh, it something far like worse? The problem I fear lies with Ryuk. Is he okay? He is in love and plans to be married. <laughs> Will Tilt be able to resolve his personal conflicts? That's a pretty cool staff weapon. That's pretty cool. Or will it all lead to disaster? All this while facing the evil of Moloch. It's all next time on Stargate. Moloch! Huh. Okay. All right. Yeah, we got a, we got a, we got a story A and a story B. And we got to figure out uh, which one we're gonna do. Choice A, choice B, I guess. Yeah. Choice A, choice B. We'll we'll have to find out. Yeah. Um, and we do get Jolene Blaylock back, and we get uh Brentac back. Yeah. I mean Braytac back. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, walking through the Stargate's own Tony Amendola. That's right. That's friend of the show, Tony Amendola. Yep. Uh, so that'll be next time with Stargate uh, SG One sacrifices. Uh, just a quick note, uh, dear listeners. Um. Next week is a week where my recording schedule is not going to happen. Yeah. So we will not be recording an episode next Saturday. Um, but all other things being equal, we will be back the week after that. Yep. I'll. Uh, so. I think we got two more special things uh, in the hopper that uh, that I, I'll I'll let one of those get released next week. Okay, that'll be cool. Yeah. And uh, we will. Uh, Dig into sacrifices next time. We are on the airwaves, yeah, <laughs> or the podcast waves, the podcast or the waves, internet waves. Yeah. Or... <laughs> Is it really waves when there's ones and zeros? I mean, I guess it's like they're really abrupt waves. Uh, we'll we'll call it. Uh, uh, I, I got nothing. You got, he's got nothing either. Okay, all, all right. right, time all to right. wrap this thing up. <laughs> all right, tell us what you think. All of those things. Walking through the Stargate, Facebook, Discords, all of those things. Yep. I'm Zach. I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.